God, incredible, irrational praise in the house. Amen. Will you turn to your neighbor to the left or right and say something nice and encouraging to your neighbor? Amen. Say something nice and encouraging to your neighbor. Amen. As those from the outside are coming in. Those on the outside are coming in. Those outside are coming in. Amen. Amen. To the baddest band on this side of heaven, let's show some love for our band. Amen. Amen. To our awesome and anointed singers, let's show some love for our singers, our worship area, Sister Tony. To those of in our multimedia, our parking lot, our frontliners, our ushers, our greeters, our guest welcome team, our ministers, our deacons. Our spring ministry, everyone who's serving today, we say thank you from the very bottom of our hearts. Salute you. And the only name that matters, Jesus, who is the risen Christ. Amen. It is good to see the non-CME members today. Amen. That you don't just come on Christmas, Mother's Day, and Easter. Amen. But the real saints are in the house on today. Amen. The Pastor Lomax giving honor to him and to his lovely wife, Sister T and Lorraine, to all of these ministers, everyone in your respective places. And we're going to press in week two of our week eight series on the resurrection. And today I have the task and assignment of preaching um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 20. I'm praying that you uh, will be different. I talked to colleagues you know, all over this country, and many times we find it very difficult in this 21st century preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, because our spiritual diets have become so polluted with that just to tickle our ears uh, that when we are embraced with the gospel of Jesus Christ, people have a tendency of walking away and say the preacher didn't preach today. Paul would say that if the gospel is not preached, then preaching really hasn't taken place. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 20, it says, But if Christ is preached, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? He says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, Paul says, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. He says, more than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. Verse 16 says, for the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. He says in verse 18, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. He says in verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. 
He says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of all those who have fallen asleep. Thank you for the reading of God's word on today. Thank you, ushers, for your service on today. I want to talk from this subject, is non-negotiable. Is non-negotiable. My brothers and sisters, all of you are tuned in today for our resurrection series. It may be your first um, time visiting us today, and we welcome you in the name of Jesus Christ. My mind traces back to one of my childhood experiences, Sister Adrian, uh, recalling my brother Greg, who is my eldest brother, that one of his favorite television shows was Ripley's Believe It or Not. I must admit, as a young lad, this was not something that resonated very well with me. It really was not one of my favorite shows. But this was a time minister Baptiste that predated having a flat screen television in each room and cable. It was a time where the family had one television in one room. And because he was the eldest brother, it meant that he had seniority on the television. And so we had to watch whatever it was that he was watching unless we wanted to take it outside. Amen. And here it is, my brothers and sisters, because he had seven years on me. He had muscle development and mental proudness above me. I suffered it to be to watch Ripley's Believe It or Not. It was at this time, my brothers and sisters, Sister T, that on this particular show, They had several segments that caught my attention. One of the first things on the segment, Sister Vernita, is the fact that it always opened the show involving audience participation. There was always an act that began with the audience involved. Then they had a segment on there called Ripley's Record. And in this segment, it was their to commemorate those who were going to break a world record while on the show. But head and shoulders above everything that I enjoyed about the show that I was forced to watch, it was this segment called Spot the Knot. And Spot the Knot, it was this particular time in which um, they would give these particular weekly trivia segments and the viewers were challenged to figure out which segment was real and not real. It was very ironic because many of the time, maybe it was because of my age or maybe because I used to ride the short bus for a period of time, there there were moments and times that things that I thought were real was really not real. And there were things that were real that I was thinking was unreal. And here it is, my brothers and sisters. It was fascinating to my cognitive ability to try and to decipher and determine which stories were fiction and nonfiction. So as it was with Ripley's Believe It or Not and Spot the Not, that is where our Samanit spotlight shines today. Because many of us are convinced and have concluded in our mind about our faith pillar called the resurrection. But at the time and tenor of our text, not everybody was on the same wavelength. There were some people, my brothers and sisters, who were believing that the resurrection was not real at all. And there were many skeptics at this particular time. Not I'm in Bible country because if you look at 
Acts of the Apostle. It is the only historical book of the New Testament around chapter 23, verse 8. It tells us, Minister Ray, that at that time, two of the predominant religious sects of that time were divergent in their disciplines. In other words, not all of them had the same doctrinal beliefs because in that particular one, the writer of Acts of the Apostle Luke says that the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not only did they not believe in the resurrection, they didn't believe in angels or spirits, as Acts 23 verse 8, but he says, but there were the Pharisees, and the Pharisees believed all of these two things. So at the very top, we see the vision as it relates to this doctrinal discipline called the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But here it is in our text today, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12, the verse that I open up reading to you, Paul is writing and Paul is addressing because Paul says there in the B clause, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So Paul now is dealing with in this discourse questions that have arisen about the resurrection. It's very important to understand for you, those of you who are still tuning in with me, that many of the current believers came out of pagan philosophies. Many of them came out of other paganistic religions, and now they have had to embrace Christianity. But many of them are still hanging out and fellowshipping with those teachers of their prior religion. And many of those other teachers are trying to convince them that the resurrection was a big hoax. And now Paul is having to deal with a sect of believers in Corinth who now have written to him about questions pertaining to the resurrection. So when you begin to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it is really Paul addressing questions that have been raised about the resurrection. And Paul writes from verse 1 all the way through verse number 58 and this is Paul's doctrinal treatise about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and if I had to summarize 1 Corinthians chapter 15 I would summarize it with these three words it's non-negotiable that's what Paul is really trying to get these Christian believers to hear he's trying to get them to understand that when it comes to the resurrection we don't debate this we don't even consider it being an option. This is not something up for a debate. This is not something up for a vote. This is not something up for how you feel about Paul says it's non-negotiable. Brother DeBray, it's like when you give the rules in your house to the kids about what their curfew is. It's just non-negotiable. It's, it's almost like, Brother Samuels, when you decide that you want to go buy your next Bentley, when you go to the Bentley dealership, you can't go to the Bentley dealership like you're going to buy a Honda or a Toyota because when you get on the dealership, they want you to know that the price is the price and is non-negotiable. It's like President Barack Hussein Obama who's speaking to North Korea now about the issue of building watch this, nuclear weapons. He said it is clearly non-negotiable and that's where Paul is really trying to get the Corinthian believers to come in 
and to rest in their spirit that he is trying to say to them when it comes to the resurrection is non-negotiable. So Paul writes to them and he lets them know that he pollutedly proclaims that Christianity is useless if Jesus was not raised from the dead. So let me spend my remaining moments here, Deacon Davis, trying to unpack these verses where Paul is trying to talk to us about a major pillar of our faith and Paul is simply saying it's non-negotiable. Paul said the first thing that's non-negotiable is you and I must refuse to change the gospel message. Paul says in verses 12 through 14, he says, but if it is preached that Christ has not been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? He says in verse 13, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, he says, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Understand what Paul is trying to write here. Paul is trying to say to them that our salvation hinges and is totally dependent on the gospel message. Without exception, my brothers and sisters, that the preaching and teaching in the early church, Brother Franklin, was centered on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I might be afraid if these, if these spiritual pillars of preachers were here in the 21st century, they would not be a mega church. They would not be the most popular preacher or have the most populated church because all that they was preaching, Sister Pat, was the gospel of Jesus Christ. They didn't have any games. They didn't have any gimmicks. They didn't make you any empty promises. They didn't tell you to turn around three times and God was going to change it. They didn't tell you to sow $21 and God was going to make you a millionaire overnight. But the only thing they had to preach was Jesus died. He was buried. And three days later, he rose again. And I'm mighty afraid, my brothers and sisters, that if there's something that the church has lost in the 21st century, we have lost our spiritual appetite and excitement for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I knew on my way here, it wasn't going to be much shouting today. Wasn't going to be much celebrating today because all I have to preach is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says that if something that you and I cannot afford to change, it is, watch this, we must refuse to change the gospel message. I understand that not everybody may like it. Some people may be offended. Some people may not want to come to church. But Paul says that you and I must hang our hats on the gospel message. I'm here to tell somebody if somebody is still not sure if the gospel work, Paul says that Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, the very first sermon that was preached post the ascension of Jesus Christ into glory. Peter stood up flat footed in front of a crowd one day and all he preached Brian was Jesus 
crucify whom you have given but God raised him from the dead and now have exalted him at the right hand of God and the Bible says Massey that 3,000 souls were saved two weeks later Peter stood back up Peter what you gonna preach today Jesus crucified and he was buried and three days later he rose again and 5,000 souls were saved Peter said all you got to do is preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because if salvation is going to come it comes when the gospel has been preached and you and I are sitting in here we're blood washed why says and blood bought why because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and if anybody want to know why you are the way you are and why you have become the person that you have become you need to tell them it is because of the gospel of Jesus Christ let me go ahead and say this because whenever the gospel is being preached preachers understand by whomever the resurrection is the pivotal message that we must proclaim and understand that at the time of our text Paul is writing to them and the only thing that Paul had that was written at this time was the Old Testament Paul is matter of fact writing a letter to Corinth he didn't have the New Testament at his disposal all they had was the Old Testament and here is Paul one that has been trained by one of the greatest rabbis of his time in Jewish history a rabbi by the name of Gamaliel and Gamaliel made sure that Paul was well doctrinated knew that Paul was astute when it came to this settled issue called the resurrection of Jesus Christ for Paul the resurrection was already Adrian a settled issue in the Old Testament because Job had declared which is really the oldest book of the Bible Job declared in 1926 he says even after my skin is destroyed yet from my flesh I will see God Daniel the old prophet had said Daniel 12 chapter 2 Massey he says and many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake these to everlasting life but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt for Paul he understood that the resurrection was a settled issue according to the Old Testament maybe y'all don't like Old Testament because maybe you think I'm promoting Judaism but Jesus Christ when he came upon the earth knew that the resurrection sister Nancy was a settled issue you remember one of the great stories of the Bible here it was word come and John chapter 11 Mary and Martha send word to Jesus that their brother your friend is sick to the point of death and you know what happened Jesus divinely delayed his coming he stays back two days and here it is Lazarus dies by the time Jesus arrived to Bethany four days later they said that Lazarus is dead and his body is stinking and Jesus looked at Martha and says don't you know Lazarus will rise again that was an indication there Martha turns to Jesus Christ and say I know that he will rise again in the resurrection Jesus said thou has well spoken but let me give you some more hope look at me woman I am the resurrection and the life that whoever live and believe and me shall never die in other words the resurrection 
Colossians was a settled issue in their mind. But Paul is coming here because people are trying to tell them that the resurrection is not true. And Paul wants them to know that this is non-negotiable. In other words, what he wants us to understand, my brothers and my sisters, is that what make Christianity different than all other religions is called the resurrection. He said Jesus is the only founder who came here and proclaimed what he was going to do and it came to pass just like he said that it would. He said in Matthew 16 and 18, I am going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus tell his disciples on several occasions, I am going to be crucified but three days later I am going to be raised from the dead. No other religion my brothers and sisters till today can boast a claim of what the Christian message is all about because Muhammad came and he proclaimed a message but Muhammad died and is still dead. Last time I checked the role Hindu and Confucius and Buddha are still dead. Last time I checked the role Aaron Hubbard the founder of Scientology came and proclaimed the message but he died and is still dead. Joseph Smith the founder of the Latter day Saints which we know as a Mormon came and had a great revelation but he died and is still dead but somebody shout Jesus Jesus came he died he was buried but he got up with all power in his hand and if you want to know why I praise God if you want to know why I serve Jesus Christ I serve him because he's not dead but he is alive So Paul writes to them, he writes to them to me, and he says to them that whatever you do, do not change the gospel message. I don't care how tech savvy we become. I don't care how sophisticated we become. I don't care what mountaintop experiences we may have. I don't care if you do have the corner office. I don't care what kind of car you drive. But one thing the church of the living God can not change. We may change our methodology, but the message of the gospel must stay the same. We must still tell the world that he came through 40 and two generations. We must still tell the world that he was born by the Virgin Mary, conceived through the Holy Spirit, baptized by John, walked the streets of Jordan for three long years. He was betrayed by Judas. He was deserted by the disciples. He was tried in a kangaroo court. Even though he was innocent, he went to Galgotha and they hung him high and stretched him away. Yes, he died on Friday and stayed there all day Friday night and stayed there all day Saturday and stayed stayed there all night Saturday night but early on Sunday morning he got up with all power in his hand and that's the only message that we have to go to tell a lost and dying world that Jesus is still the way the truth and the light Paul says whatever we do don't change the message 
Let, let, let me move on. He says, whatever you would do, don't change the message. He says, not only must we refuse to change the gospel message, but, but he says something else. He says, second thing we must do is reject a gospel of comfort and convenience. God, let me preach this today. Now, this is not going to be popular because our whole life, if the truth be told, we, we, we have strived to live to become comfortable. Come on, talk to me. And the world prides itself on making everything convenient. But then we have to come face to face with this gospel message that is antithetical to being one of comfort and convenience. Look at the tension in the text here. Paul writes here and, and understand something that Moltmann and Scraves says at the cross. You do know that whole record cross. He says the cross remains the ground and criterion of Christian existence and our Christian identity. In other words, if there is no cross, there is no Christianity. Watch this, Moltmann and Scraves wanted us to understand that it is at the same time and in the same breath my understanding, he says, the proclamation of the resurrection is at the same time and in the same breath, the word of the cross. He says, just as the word of the cross is at the same time and in the same breath, the proclamation of the resurrection. So Paul Ra is responding in verse 12. These group of believers did not want to believe about the resurrection of Jesus Christ based upon the false teaching that they had encountered. Let me read verse 12 to you again. It says, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Watch this. Some of these scholars, watch this, could accept Jesus being resurrected. But their issue was they could not accept the theology of a post-mortal existence. In other words, they did not believe in a bodily resurrection. So in other words, Paul now places careful attention to the structure of verse number 12. Paul uses a verb, says, is preached, which implying that preaching is done by a Christian evangelist. In other words, when Paul says, now if Christ is preached as raised from the dead, Minister Howard, a better translation is, now since people preach that God has raised Christ from the dead, why are we even having this discussion? In other words, he wants them to know that the cross, he said, if there is something that you and I must be solidified here, we must be solidified in knowing that the cross cross is central to our faith. In other words, Paul is letting them know that you and I must understand what it means, what the embodiment of the cross is. It's not this fancy symbol of what the rappers wear around their necks now. Understand what he was trying to say. That nobody in the first century church would be wearing a 
cross because they understood the spiritual significance of what that meant. They knew that the cross, my brothers and sisters, was not something to be paraded, but they knew it was a sign of pain. They knew it was a sign of surrender. They knew it was a sign of sacrifice. They knew that the cross, my brothers and sisters, was a symbol of abandonment. It was a symbol of betrayal. It was a symbol of backbiting. It was a symbol of deceit. It was a symbol of rejection. It was a symbol of loneliness. And Paul is writing to them. He says, I know some of you would prefer a royal Caribbean salvation. I know some of you want a cruise type mentality when it comes to your Christianity. But Christianity is built on the cross and there is nothing that is comfortable and convenient about the cross. I'm looking at some puzzled faces here. I need some of you to just reflect back on Good Friday. If you think about what Good Friday was all about, think about how dark it was. Think about how lonely it was. Think about how his disciples deserted him. But I need you to hear the nails going in his hand. I need you to hear the nails going in his feet. I need you to see the crown of thorns that are pressed down into his head. I need you all to see the 39 whips that they're putting on his back. I need you to see, I need you to smell the blood that's coming out of his side as they are piercing him. That's not a picture of comfort and convenience to me. That is a picture of surrender. That is a picture of commitment. That is a picture of sacrifice to me. And that's what the cross really represents. And I got to preach that word to somebody in here because I cannot promise you that your Christian journey is going to be one of comfort and convenience. That you are going to have some rough moments in your life. And that's why you need the cross because you got to understand when cancer takes over your body, the cross reminds you that God is still able. When you got hell on your job and people are backbiting and plotting against you and digging graves to put you in, the cross reminds you it's not the first time that somebody have been plotted against. It's not the first time that a hole have been dug for somebody when somebody is trying to betray you and in this life you will be betrayed. In this life you will be deserted. In this life you will be talked about and that's why you need the cross of Jesus Christ because the cross reminds you that if Jesus had to go through it, then who am I not to go through this cross? Let me see if I can cut across the field here because some of us want to experience a joyful life that some of us want to be anointed and appointed but I hear to tell somebody in here that you are not going to get the type of anointing that you've been praying for without a visit to the cross I'm here to tell somebody my brothers and sisters can I go old school for a moment you do realize it was at the cross at the cross where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. Come on, talk to me and hear somebody. Is there anybody in here that can just remember and reflect back on the cross of Jesus Christ? And I'm here to tell somebody that if you want to go 
higher, you got to have a destiny with the cross. And can I tell all of you that want to be so deep, that want to be so spiritually mature, that you want to be able to cast out demons and devils, that you want to be able to raise the dead, you got to be willing to go on a tree and hang high. You got to be willing to stretch wide. You got to be willing to lay your life down on the line and say, God, here am I. Let me see if I can help you here. Let me see if I can help you here. Let me see if I can help you. Because the cross, Jarkevis, is not where you hold your family reunion. The cross is not a trip for your girlfriends and your boys to go on. The cross is a lonely trip with just you and Jesus Christ. When you look at the cross, you see Jesus hanging there by himself. And that's where God wants to get with some of us in our life. That God is trying to get us to have a real and true encounter and experience with him. But many of us, many of us want to go on this spiritual journey and never stop by the cross. Because I know why. Cross, not comfortable. Cross, not convenient. Let me see if I can help you here. See if I can help you here. Peter Rollins in this book, write this book down. Insurrection. Peter Rollins in the book Insurrection says, The cross is a place that signals an experience. When all that grounds us grips us and gives us meaning collapses Woo! let me say it again he said the cross is everything that grounds us everything that grips us minister to render and everything that gives us meaning starts to collapse he said this is the place where God strips away everyone and everything that you have depended on until you learn how to rely on him I feel that thing in here and that's where God is trying to get somebody in here because you are truly not relying on God and God said I know why it's because you have not finished your date at the cross because whenever you come to the cross you will have an experience and an encounter with me and you will leave saying nobody but God do I have a witness in this house is there anybody that have ever been at that place in your life that it wasn't your friends, it wasn't your family, it wasn't your job, it wasn't your money, it wasn't your honey. But when you came through that dark and cold and lonely night, your testimony was that it was nobody but the Lord. Is there anybody getting here that can give God crazy praise? Because you know that 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 you show sure enough know it was nobody but the Lord. I wish y'all would let me preach. Somebody still not ready for that cross yet. It's at the cross. Brother Richard, where God uncovers layers and layers of you 
that you didn't even know existed. He, he, he calls in self-deception and self-centeredness and inadequacy and failures and say, lay them bare before me. It's a place of total transparency. It's a place. It's a place. Here it is, Deacon Stewart. It's a place of brokenness. But can I tell somebody? Sometimes you have to be broken before you can be healed. Let me say it over here. Sometimes you have to be broken before you can ever embrace wholeness. Because God is not trying to patch fit you. But God is trying to do a total makeover of you. And the only way God can get a total makeover of you is when you arrive at this place called the cross. It is there when you are crushed by a deep existential loss of certainty that you only find that Christ exists. That's why I got to tell somebody. I know what you're saying, Pastor C. Pastor C. Pastor C. Why? Why do I want to embrace, embrace this place of brokenness? Because there's no other way we can bear fruit. Woo. Don't be like the grain of wheat that is never planted and never grows. I got to tell somebody on my way to my last point. The only way Christ can live his life through us is if we allow ourselves to be crucified. God doesn't want you and I to be content with your salvation. There's so much more he desires to give us and accomplish through us. But the question I got to raise is, are we willing to take the road to the cross with him? Yes, it's painful. But the rewards in this life and eternity far outweigh any suffering you will experience. Let me move on. It's non-negotiable. We must refuse to change the gospel message. We must reject a gospel of comfort and convenience. Finally, Paul says, you and I must reenact Christ's resurrection each day. Look, verses 18 through 20. They're going to put it on the screen. Reunite crisis, crisis, resurrection each day. He said, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Help us, Lord. He says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Look what he says in verse 20. Y'all read it back to me. But, but Christ has indeed. <laughs> the first fruit of all those who have fallen asleep. Paul raises, watch this, in his apologetics, which means the defense of our faith. Paul raises in his apologetics about the resurrection of Christ five major concerns pertaining to the absurdity of there being no resurrection. Paul Paul says, Pastor Kenny, 
if there is no resurrection, according to verse 14, he says, our preaching has been fruitless. In other words, we're preaching in vain. He says in verse 15, if there is no resurrection, we all are false witnesses for the Father. He says in verse 17, if there is no resurrection, our faith is futile. He says in verse 17, not only is our faith futile, but he says our forgiveness is forfeited. We are still in our sin. Then he says in verse 18, he says, for if there is no resurrection, those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. In other words, those who have fallen asleep are finished. Let me see if I can recapitulate. Paul says, if there is no resurrection, the words of faith has been fruitless we are false witnesses for the father our faith is futile forgiveness is forfeited those who have fallen asleep are finished it's a done deal they have no hope but in verse 20 he says but Christ he says, reminding the believers that Jesus Christ, that's Paul's way of reminding us that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And therefore, because Jesus has been raised from the dead, we ought to live a victorious life both now and forevermore. In other words, Paul writes to the, the saints in Rome. He says to them, Minister Ray, he says that we ought to live our lives like we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. Will you turn to three people and say, I'm more than a conqueror. He says, I'm more than a conqueror. Not only are we more than conquerors, but I got some people in the room who are overcomers and outcomers. We are overcomers because we've come over some stuff. We are outcomers because we have come out of some stuff. And Paul says, because we are overcomers, because we are outcomers. That, that means that we are to live our life as victors and not as victims. That's why Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 one of my favorite verses Paul says in verse 19 he says for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God he says I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but it is Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words Paul had reached a place in his life queue where he says my focus and my motivation is to get closer to God and to do God's will and not my will. And that's what I really want to go home with saying that's how we reenact Christ his resurrection every day in our life. Let me tell you how we do it. Paul gave us the prescription in Galatians chapter to. Paul says it is when we wake up and say not my will but thy will be done. In other words Paul says in order for us to say this every day Paul says we have to do something else. He says in verse Corinthians chapter 15 verse 31 he says this minister Tatra he says that the only way that we can accomplish this in our lives is to die daily to ourselves. It's right there in verse Corinthians 
Corinthians 15 and 31. Paul says, I, I die every day. I don't know about anybody in here, but that's my word for this season. Lord, kill some stuff every day in my life. Don't you sit here like I'm the only one in here. Then Paul is the only one in here who needs to say, Lord, crucify me daily. And Paul is letting us know that every day that you and I wake up, there's something that God needs to be able to work on. But the question is, will you give God access to crucify you on a daily basis? And that's why we teach my brothers and my sisters, thank you, Lord, that sanctification is progressive and not instantaneous. In other words, daily, I'm going to get better and stronger. I know that's not a word for this microwave generation that you want to be able to change overnight. I know that's not convenient and comfortable for you because you don't want to have to go through anything. But can I tell you that Paul says the only way that you and I are going to grow is when we say, Lord, crucify me daily. Let me see if I can help you here. Minister Wilson Pascal, who has gone home to be with the Lord, was a mentee of mine, a former youth minister at Antioch. And prior to going home to be with the Lord, he had to go through physical therapy to learn how to walk again. You know the story. Here it is. The therapist came in the room one day, Ashley, and she told him, listen, I am going to help you walk again. She said, but here's what I need you to understand, that I don't need you to try to do it all in one day. She said, what I need you to understand is that we're going to do a little each day, but every day I can promise you that you are going to get stronger. And there were some days that he wanted to push his body too fast, and she said to him, no, wait a minute. This is enough for today. This is all that your body can handle. Here it is, my brothers and my sisters. The therapist says this, and this is my shouting cue here. She says, it's a slow process, but if you stick with it, you're going to get stronger each day and eventually walk again. And Wilson told me that day by day, he did as the therapist said, and eventually he started to walk again. That's my word for somebody in here. I know you want to get stronger. I know you want to grow, but God sent me by here to tell you it's not going to happen overnight. That day by day, you're going to get stronger. Day by day, you're going to get better. And what you have to do is say, Lord, here I am. Crucify me. Lord, here I am. Work on me. Is there anybody in here that's ready to grow stronger in the Lord? Is there anybody in here that said, Lord, here I am. That's my word for the day. I ain't got to give you everything at once. But every day of my life, I promise I'm going to bring something to the altar. I promise God I'm going to give you a part of me that needs crucifying. And is there anybody in here who knows that the Lord can do it? Is there anybody in here when you turn to your neighbor for the next to the last time and say, neighbor, I am a witness that if you give it to him, what he crucified, he will also resurrect. Is there anybody in here 
who knows in order for there to be a resurrection there must be a crucifixion is there anybody in here that a part of you is ready to die will you stand on your feet and say God I want to get stronger God I want to get better but I understand a part of me has to die in order for you to resurrect something else let me see if I can help you here and God sent me by here to tell you Ray that if you give him your anxiety he'll give you answers if you give him your burdens he'll give you a breakthrough if you give him your coldness he'll give you compassion if you're giving your disappointments, he'll give you deliverance. If you're giving your exasperations, he'll give you emancipation. If you're giving your fear, he'll give you faith. If you're giving your gloom, he'll give you glory. If you're giving your hurt, he'll give you healings. If you're giving your issues, he'll give you inspiration. If you're giving your jealousy, he'll give you joy. If you give him cruelness, he'll give you kindness. If you give him loneliness, he'll give you love. If you give him meanness, he'll give you mercy. If you give him numbness, he'll give you nevertheless. If you give him outrage, he'll give you an opportunity. If you give him pride, he'll give you praise. If you give him quarrels, he'll give you quietness. If you give him rejection, he'll give you rejoicing. If you give him sarcasm, he'll give you sincerity. If you give him trials, he'll give you triumphs. If you give him unthoughtfulness, He'll give you understanding. If you give him vices, he'll give you victory. If you give him your wicked ways, he'll give you worshipful acts. Is there anybody here that's ready to die? Say, Lord, here I am. Crucify me. Change my attitude. Change my behavior. Change my thoughts. Is there anybody here that want to leave it? at the altar is there anybody here said lord i'm tired of it i'm tired of carrying it i'm tired of dealing with it crucify it crucify it crucify it Holy Spirit said to me, he says, Taylor, if you go through a daily crucifixion, it also means you experience a daily resurrection. I don't know who that's for, but what's coming is better than what's been. I don't know. Who that word is for. But what's coming? If you let the Lord crucify you, what's coming is better than what's being. What proof do I have, Jesus Christ? He died as a lowly, humble servant, but was raised as an anointed king with all power in his hand. I'm here to tell you. That whatever you lose for Christ, 
He gives you better. He gives you better. He gives you better. He gives you better. Will you take that neighbor by the hand? Take that neighbor by the hand. Don't miss this message. Paul said it's non-negotiable. Don't change the gospel.